episode 847. The regular season got things started on Thursday night, and the Green Bay Packers are on deck. To help preview the season, we're calling on Scott McKenna of the Talk and Smack blog. It's all coming up on Railbird Central next. Packers fans, and welcome to Railbird Central at Cheesehead TV, the longest tenured Packers podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Brian Caribou, and today we're talking about the Packers season opener. To do that, we're joined by a guest on the phone. Baltar, find me another expert, one that likes me this time, okay? We're joined by our monthly appearance by Scott McKenna of the Talk and Smack blog. Scott's usually in Denver, Colorado, but he's in Green Bay for the season opener this weekend. Scott, how excited are you? Oh, it's just, it's thrilling. It's uh, it's really an incredible experience to come back for the home opener, being uh, being born and raised in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and, you know, thinking that Titletown USA truly is football's holy land, and it's just uh it's special to be able to come back and uh, and take in the home opener each and every year, and uh, uh, it's incredible to uh, to be able to to speak to you uh, while I'm breathing in this uh, this beautiful air here. You know, enjoy it, embrace it. It'll be a fun game this weekend, and the theme for today's episode: we're going to look at this game and pretty much the the whole 2017 season. Through the lens of the seven free agents the Packers have signed this season, the most of the Ted Thompson and Mike McCarthy era, Scott, uh, I, I want to start with both the most highest profile signing the Packers made this offseason and the most newsworthy of, of late, tight end Martellus Bennett. Does this game have any extra significance for Bennett, considering he'll face his brother who just recently went public saying he was the subject of racial profiling in Las Vegas? Well, I think anytime you're competing with your brother, um, if he's wired any, anything similarly to me, um, your, your competitive juices flow a little bit stronger, right? You want to, uh, um, you, you want to, you want to show your strength and, uh, um, and, and to come up, come up on top. So, you know, during holiday season, you got bragging rights and you're sitting around the dinner table. And uh, I would absolutely anticipate that he's going to be juiced up and ready to go and ready to make an impact, not just because it's going to be his first time, you know, wearing the green and gold, but also because he's going to be going nose to nose and toes to toes competing with his brother. Yeah, it, it's there definitely is bragging rights on the line there um, with, with Martellus Bennett. I mean, what what kind of season are you expecting from Martellus Bennett here? I mean, it, it's now been such a long time that the Packers have signed him that, that this may have been discussed ad nauseum, not just by us, by about everybody out there. But I mean, how how, how high is the ceiling for Martellus Bennett? Well, I think the ceiling is really high, and but what I really think is going to be the most interesting, you know, component to uh, to his success in, in Green Bay. And you know, I went to the Broncos game when the 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 Packers played the Broncos in the preseason just uh, you know two weeks ago. And one of the things that was really telling to my eye is Bennett was consistently running across the middle, open. And through the years, Mike McCarthy has really trained Aaron Rodgers to look to the outside first. 
So, you know, I'm going to be curious to see how long it takes Rodgers, who's really a creature of habit and extending plays and looking outside first and then looking down at the rush and then sort of thinking with his legs, right? So uh, in, in Bennett's – the way Bennett runs his routes, for my eye anyways, you got to see him early in that route. And if you do, you're going to consistently be moving sticks. So I, I'm going to be wondering how much of an adjustment Bennett's addition – who, who really does most of his work between the hash marks, how long that takes Rodgers to get uh, uh, retooled in, in a custom and uh, uh, to, to throw the ball over the middle of the field, which really has not been a trademark of his. So, um, you know, I, I think that uh, as the season wears on, much as, as we saw with Cook, now I know Cook was out for a lot of last year, but towards the end of last year, Cook was just a, a, a true stallion for our offense. And I really think that there's going to be a little bit of a, 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 a uh, there's going to be a time adjustment for uh, for uh, a timing adjustment for both Rodgers and Bennett getting used to uh, to the new system and and uh, and getting comfortable with one another. And I think that we may see late October, early November. Uh, Bennett becoming the kind of guy that is consistently grabbing five to six balls a week, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he's um, if he's maybe not targeted as much as uh, we'll you know early in the season as we see later on, with the exception of when the Packers get the ball in the red zone, and then I can really see Bennett being the go-to guy for Rodgers' eye. That's an interesting perspective and one I hadn't really thought of before in terms of Aaron Rodgers, you know, working from the outside in. And it, it, it's true. I mean, now that I think about it, I mean, the majority of his completions are, are to the outside. And yeah, you, you always have a few big plays over the middle of the season, but it's not like it's he's consistently had this tight end that stretched the seam. Uh, whether it's due to injury or whatever to Jared Cook or, you know, Jermichael Finley before him, uh, or just not having anybody at all uh, with a threat at the tight end position. Uh, but of course, Scott, the, the Packers also made two moves at tight end, also adding Wisconsin native Lance Kendricks. It, is there a chance he's even more productive than Bennett if teams focus on taking away Bennett? You know, statistically, when it's all said and done, I would guess not. But what I will say is on his his impact on the offense. And, you know, one thing the Packers have really prided themselves on, and you know, offensively, is having great versatility within their players and having, you know, Nelson now being able to play on the outside or in the slot. You know, I think uh, Allison can do the same. We saw a little bit of that. Um, of Adams trying to get into the slot or into the backfield and, uh, you know, Cobb being moved all around and Montgomery doing the same thing. And Kendricks fits that. Kendricks, I think, made carriage very exposable at the end of the year. And I know they tucked him on the, you know, the IR or whatever it was. Right. But uh, it's uh, his ability to be able to step into, uh, you know, the backfield and to be sort of a, a, a fullback at times and, you know, to line him, you know, tight to the tight end, and he's a willing blocker. You can take him a just a yard off the line of scrimmage, and um, and and, and uh, you know, keep him close enough to where if you need him to get a cut block, he can certainly do it. Or you can get him in the flat, and and uh, you know, he can make plays there. I will say additionally that he's uh, uh he's he might be a bigger downfield threat 
than Bennett, which you could see a couple of, uh, you know, he may end up having more catches of uh, north of 20 yards to his, uh, to his stats total by at the end of the year than Bennett. But I really think that he's going to be the kind of guy that, uh, you know, might be forgotten by defenses at times. And he may be put in a position to where uh, he's going to be against the defense's weakest link um, in a, and you know, we've talked about this, this league really becoming a, uh, a matchup league, much like the NBA has become uh, through the evolution of the game and really the way the rules have, have favored the offense. And, you know, with that said, I can really see Kendricks becoming, uh, you know, maybe the, the guy with the, the, who becomes a matchup nightmare for defenses and trying to figure out, you know, what time type of body, do you, do you try to do you try to match up with him because if it's a smaller body he's going to uh, he can overpower you in the run game and by blocking and if it's a if it's a bigger body he can outrun you and he's a, he's a tough cover so you know great signing by Thompson and uh, I really think it gives McCarthy a, a real a real sharp tool for him to uh, to work with when he's putting together his, uh, his offensive design for the week the other signing on the offensive side of the football uh Jowry Evans along the offensive line Scott did did the job just become any harder for Evans having to have beside him a recovering Brian Balaga at right tackle uh there's there's uh there's no doubt about it and uh um, especially when you see what uh, um what kind of performance we got out of the backups at right tackle throughout the preseason and you know, you could say, oh, well, it was just the preseason. When it gets real, things may change. But we saw a lot of the same things out of the, out of the two players that, uh, you know, out of Murphy and Spriggs last year as well. So, um, you know, I, I, I definitely think, uh, you, you, you know, Evans' role um, might be the most crucial of all of the, uh, the signings that, uh, that we had on, uh, um, as, uh, as free agents last year. And, or over the over the the off season, it's just uh, we are replacing T.J. Lang, and uh, who has been uh, just he was just in he's an ultimate Green Bay Packer, a Packer Hall of Famer, a turn back the clock kind of guy, the guy that makes you want to sit at Thurston's and uh, at Fuzzies and have a pint, right? And uh, it's just uh, he it's he's he's a big hole to lose, and uh, um, you know, I, I think Evans is he's he was he was of utmost importance with Bulaga next to him, with Bulaga potentially not next to him. You know, making sure that that right side of the offensive line is on lockdown. Uh, you know, really going to be depending on Evans to have a big game this week and uh, and throughout the 2017 season. Yeah, you know, when you look at it through the perspective, you you just said he might be the most important offensive, you know, signing the Packers had. For offensive linemen, they don't score the touchdowns, they don't make the sacks, but Jari Evans might play more snaps than any of the free agents the Packers signed just because you don't switch offensive linemen. They're in there every play, so I can definitely see that. Um, but Scott, if we turn to the defensive side of the football now, let, we'll, we'll start with the newest addition, defensive lineman Quinton Dial. So my question to you is: Was it worth losing Christian Ringo to sign Dial? Without a doubt, Dial is a a very, very, very exciting pickup, and I think it really shows a shift in how the Packers are looking to use Mike Daniels this year. 
we talked about it lightly a couple times, a couple months ago, I think. We were trying to figure out how in the world is this Packers team going to get to the quarterback on third down. That is going to be Mike Daniels' number one role. They're going to make sure that that mean dude is fresh on third down and in attack mode, as Daniels always is. And I think with Dial and uh, Francois and with Lowry and with Clark, you've just got a, uh, a, a really terrific uh, rotation of players that uh, are going to be fresh, are going to be hungry, and that generally are able to push the line backwards. And Dial fits that. He's a great run-stopping 3-4 uh, defensive lineman. Um, he's, uh, he's got the figure that you're looking for. He's got the length, the height that you're looking for. And he really he knows his role. And uh, he's a, he's a first-down plugger. He's going to eat up blockers, and he's going to let our undersized inside linebackers see the field. And uh, I was really, really excited about the Dial signing. I thought it was a real aggressive move by Thompson. And, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's moving all of his chips to the table. He wants to win the Super Bowl this year and wasn't going to have any uh, stone unturned in his, uh, pr- his pursuit of another championship. So the other defensive lineman, you alluded to him, Ricky Jean-Francois. How, how big of a role do you anticipate him playing this season? I think he's, uh, he, he, you know, he's the type of guy that might end up playing uh, seven to ten snaps a game. Uh, taking over uh, maybe a, a series or two for uh, um, in the first and second down rotation, giving maximum effort, being an ultimate hustle player, a cagey veteran um, who who sort of wins with uh, with grit. He's not the most overpowering guy. He's not the quickest guy, but he's got enough and uh, you know enough of a skill set to where he can uh, he can find outmaneuver an offensive lineman to find his way into the backfield and. Uh, I think he's going to be a going to get going to provide a number of uh, of uh, real important and significant sa- uh, 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 plays for the uh, uh, the Packers defense and in, uh, in ensuring that that defensive line is fresh throughout the season. I hope so, and I apologize to our listeners out there who may be able to detect a difference in, in my audio, not yours, Scott. I made a little adjustment. It shouldn't be a big one, but anyway, continuing on here, uh, how concerned are you? that the other big free agent addition the Packers just made since the cut down to 53. Um, Ahmad Brooks, how concerned are you that at 33 years old, Scott, he won't be able to keep up the same pace that he was at in San Francisco where he had at least six sacks in each of the past six seasons? The Packers don't need Ahmad Brooks to be a guy that is going to be playing 40 snaps a game. The Packers need Ahmad Brooks to be a safety valve in case uh, Clay Matthews and Nick Perry or or Nick Carey, Perry get hurt. And maybe it shouldn't be in case it's when, right? Because we, we know that we can't expect either of them to play 16 games this year. It's just it's it's a history tells us that that's just uh, unlikely to happen. So we need Ahmad Brooks to, uh, you know, early in the season, be the kind of guy who's just going to play straight ahead. He can't put too much on his plate. We saw last night that a lot of big plays when uh, there was uh, in, in the, the Seahawks, or not the Seahawks, what am I talking about? The Patriots uh, um, Chiefs game last night were had a, on, on Seattle, or on, why do I keep saying Seattle? New, New England players that uh, um, 
that uh, that were with, only with the team for roughly a week, right? And uh, in you know there were too much on these defenders' plate for just learning a defense. You can't do that with Brooks. So early in the season, you just want Brooks being a straight-ahead player. He's attacking the football. He's coming at the line of scrimmage. He's winning his one-on-one battle. And, uh, you know, he's going to play 20 to 25 plays, I'd like to think, and as a rotational outside linebacker. Um, not getting himself in space, not dropping him in coverage, but just literally playing man-to-man with the guy in front of him and trying to win that battle. And I think if you're given a guy like Brooks, even at 33, um, you know, spot duty early in the season, where you're just he's just a, another mean guy, an intense guy, a physical guy. I really do think that uh, um, that Brooks is going to uh, going to be a fantastic addition to this defense, and if uh, if needed, uh, he can step in, and uh, hopefully it doesn't happen early in the season, and it, that uh, the duration isn't too long that he's required to start. But you know, you 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 put him on the field and set a factor, and uh, there is no finesse to Brooks. Fackerel is all finesse. Brooks is all power. He's mean. He's tough. And I really think that he's a sign of the times that the Green Bay Packers really tried to change their identity on the defensive side of the football. And uh, um, that that Brooks signing, for my eye, was really forceful. Yeah, I, I think he's going to have a Mike Neal type of impact on this defense, a guy who's good against the run as good as he is against the pass and, and can provide a little bit in both facets and will improve this Packers defense. It could be a starter if needed. So I'm encouraged uh, from that aspect uh, that that he will have an impact on this this Packers team. Uh, finally, Scott, the the final free agent the Packers signed here in the secondary, Devon House. Is Devon House the type of player to you that plays 100 percent of the snaps and doesn't come off the field this year? I think that's the Packers' vision for him. But I also think that Devon House was a safety valve signing for the Packers at the time that they did it. You know, there was a lot of question marks with uh, both Randall and Rollins as the season evolved last year. Um, you know, Gunter uh, showed that he has his limitations on the outside. We weren't sure about the step that Hawkins might take. And, you know, we didn't know who would be available for us to, uh, to draft when we were on the clock at the end of the first round. So... You know, I think they had to bring House in, and it was a it was a, a real important signing to be able to have a uh, a physical guy who had the length and uh, and the the turn and go speed on uh, on the perimeter to be able to uh, to match up with uh, the the current era of NFL wide receiver that has just exposed us over the years. So, I for, I certainly understand. Why, uh, why they signed House, and I think in a perfect world, the Packers do envision Devon House to be healthy and to play the type of football he played in 2015 in Jacksonville. The harsh reality is, is that since he became an NFL player and was drafted out of New Mexico State by the Packers, he's been injured, he's been banged up, and outside of 2015, he's been a, a very mediocre cornerback. So uh, I think it's the Packers' best interest that Kevin King elevates his game and becomes the guy that is uh, uh, that was the first uh, pick of the second round and shows that uh, he can put all of the all of his uh, tools together and uh, he could flash his ball hawking skills and become that shutdown cornerback and potentially push house uh, to uh, to the side a little bit and uh, 
and therefore House maybe isn't a uh, an every-down cornerback 16 weeks of the year. Now, if House is going to play as he did in 2015, uh, we could be uh, we we might have struck gold there. And uh, it's interesting to note that it's uh, uh, it's only a one-year deal, so House is playing for his future, and he's got to make sure that he's got himself uh, uh, ready to play each and every week, and uh, hopefully fully dialed in to to make some big plays. I'm putting you on the spot here, but but what's the rotation or what role do these guys play at the cornerback position? On just, let's just look at this Sunday. Let's not worry about Week 17 or the playoffs. But how, how do the Packers use their cornerbacks this week? You know, I would play King. I don't think I would play King and and House on the outside and uh, rotating uh, Rollins and Randall on the inside. And that, that would be my approach. I can see the Packers being very, very cautious with King, especially early in the game. And I can see the Packers playing with uh, with what they know, right or wrong. I can see them coming with what they know just because of the significance of the game, right? Like 2014, if the Packers win the whole or the opener at Seattle, well, that, that uh, collapse would have happened at Lambeau Field and not in Seattle. So the, though it's week one, this is the type of game when you you do look at week 17, you think that both the Packers and the Seahawks are going to be, you know, in the, uh, in the conversation for who could potentially have home field advantage. And obviously head to head tiebreaker being the, uh, the number one uh, decision maker, this game carries big weight. So the Packers are probably going to want to see uh, what they know on the field, at least early in the game. And because of that, I would I would anticipate that you're going to see Randall, and Rollins and House for right or for wrong at cornerback uh, uh, to start the game. Yeah, if if I could just make a prediction, I, I think what's going to happen is House and, and Randall are going to be the perimeter cornerbacks with with Rollins the the slot, and then when they go to dime, House uh, uh, King will be on the outside and and Randall will kick in. Um, that's just a thought of mine. Uh, that's the way I think it'll play out, but I could be wrong, but it'll be interesting to see how they're deployed, uh, regardless of what happens. Uh, Scott, uh, let, let's make a couple predictions here. I want to, I want to hear yours. Uh, I'll give mine later in the show, but a prediction for the game and a prediction for the season as a whole for this Packers team. I, I, I expect a really rowdy, get loud Lambeau feel to the stadium tomorrow. And, you know, I, as I mentioned earlier, I try to fly back for every home open each and every year. And sometimes you see the fans are just sort of melting in their seats and it's too hot. And the game hasn't been necessarily against the most riveting of opponents. Well, this year I expect a completely different vibe. It almost feels like it should be early October here right now as uh, as I pace through the title town air. And, uh, you know, I... I I think about this uh, this crowd being rowdy. I think about this crowd making it really difficult for uh, for Russell Wilson. I, I envision a real animated, fast defense in which uh, uh, the Packers really line up when, and say that our four defensive linemen are going to kick your five uh, offensive linemen's butt. And I hope that they throw Josh Jones in the fire and just say, hey, Jones, Go man up and we'll keep a spy eye on uh, on Russell Wilson. This is why we have you. And uh, Burnett lines up against Graham and really man up against these guys and uh, and just win our one on one battles and you know have a uh, force a couple of big turnovers and win some 
win, win the pass rushing game on the edge while collapsing the pot, the pocket on the inside. And I think that the Packers can really get out to an early lead here and uh, hold off that, uh, that uh, fighting, uh, um, annoying uh, Seattle offense and, uh, um, you know, fight off, uh, fend off their uh, their momentum swings that will happen likely early third quarter. And I envision a 30 to 20 Green Bay win and uh, and uh, a real high powered Packers offense uh, in attack mode and uh, and moving the football throughout. As for the season, you know, is is uh, we have the type of team if uh, if King were the guy. We have the type of team where you could really stand up and say, hey, I think this is a 13-3 and type team. But when you look at the schedule and, uh, you know, you think that Mike McCarthy teams traditionally play much better in November and December than they do in September and October. That's just a fact. And uh, <laughs> you look at what the first six games look like on the calendar. The Green Bay Packers could play terrific football and be 3-3 three and three after six games. I know people don't want to hear it, but it's just – that's a reality when you're going at Atlanta and at Dallas and, you know, at Minnesota is never easy when you're the Green Bay Packers. And uh, and then you couple in having to cover A.J. Green and uh, and having to, uh, um, uh, you know, and, and you got to you got to beat Seattle, obviously, on Sunday. And then, you, you know, the other game is the Bears still suck. So we'll win that one. But it's uh, it's uh, you're saying to yourself, you could easily be three and three and people in, a, in panic mode after six games. But then we really look at the schedule, and you think you got some games you can win. And I think the Packers will really catch fire as they typically do, uh, you know, late October, early November. And I, I ultimately see the see, you know, you go to at Pittsburgh, never as uh, as easy, especially on a night game. I'm excited to say I'm going to be at that one as well. But uh, when it's all said and done, I see an 11 and five season. I see another NFC North crown. Um, and uh, in hosting a wild card game, and the beauty with Aaron Rodgers is uh, you get him into the playoffs, and anything can happen. And uh, uh, we've seen him march to the NFC Championship a couple times out of that uh, that wild card round, and uh, I can certainly see that again. Tough for me to predict that this team winning a Super Bowl just because of the uncertainty at uh, at corner and not knowing if King's going to be able to be the uh, be a a, a a shutdown number one and. I just don't have the conviction that when it's all said and done, if we're uh, if we're playing, uh, you know, Atlanta again in an NFC championship or we're having to cover Kelvin, a guy like Kelvin Benjamin, that big, tall, fast receiver. I don't think Don, Devon House is that guy. So I really think that when you look at the pillars of this 2017 season, Kevin King needs to be thrown into the fire early in this thing to see what we got there and uh, and to ensure that uh, we're positioning him to be a a key uh, a, a key pin for us at the end of the year. So uh, at this stage, I would say Packers going to finish eleven and five, um, making a thorough run into the uh, into the into the playoffs. With but I, I I don't know that I see us being Super Bowl champions this year. Fair enough, Scott. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us this morning. Enjoy the game on Sunday. It's going to be a fun one, and I'll see you in two weeks. Looking forward to it, my man. Go right. pack go. Take care. Scott McKenna of the Talking Smack blog joining us here at Railbird Central on a Friday morning. Glad to have him join us. Glad to have you, the listener, join us as we continue on with the show. I'll try to tell you, Vince, in our Packers news segment. Details of the contract signed by Quentin Dial surfaced. 
It's signing a one-year deal worth $1 above the league minimum, making that $775,001 in base salary. That $1 is important by paying him above the league minimum. That means the Packers have the opportunity to extend his contract before free agency, but that's all it really means. It doesn't mean they're going to extend him. Uh, understandably, the Packers are going to let the season play itself out and then decide whether it's not whether it's worth re-signing Dial or not. Um, uh, but that was a notable piece of information and, and maybe one of the smartest dollars the pe- the organization uh, could have spent in, in light of the fact that they lost both Christian Ringo, who was claimed on waivers by the Cincinnati Bengals, and Brian Price claimed on waivers by the Dallas Cowboys since the cut down to 53. I'm really discouraged that the Packers lost both those guys. You you probably thought that they would lose one of them. Um, but I, I am to offset that. If you're as high on Montrevious Adams as me, when he gets back to full health, maybe we forget these guys pretty quickly uh, if Adams is, is everything we think he's going to be and more. Um, remains to be seen, uh, but another young up-and-coming rookie that could play a big role on this Packers team eventually. I don't think he'll be active this Sunday, but eventually the Packers will be turning to him. Also notable this week was that Brian Balaga returned to practice on Wednesday, albeit on a limited basis. Balaga sprained his ankle two weeks ago during training camp, and honestly, I didn't expect him to return this early with those guys who tend to be game-time type of decisions. Occasionally, the Packers will hold them out of practice all week with the final practice the day before the game on Saturday being the litmus test, and that's what I expected to happen uh, with Balaga not practicing until Saturday but the fact that he practiced as soon as Wednesday, this gives me renewed optimism that he'll not only play, but be healthy enough that he's not a liability out there. I could certainly be wrong, but the fact that he was out there practicing this week already was certainly a step in the right direction, and that's good news. As far as the game goes, I'm very excited about this game. There are no shortage of storylines, starting with the Bennett brothers facing each other in the shadow of just what happened to Michael in Las Vegas. There's also Eddie Lacy making his return to Green Bay after signing with the Seahawks in the offseason. And that's just the tip of the iceberg with the Packers and Seahawks playing so many memorable games in recent seasons dating back to the Hail Mary or Fail Mary game and then the loss in the NFC Championship game. But the meeting influencing my prediction on Sunday is their meeting last season when the Packers picked off Russell Wilson four times en route to a 38-10 victory. I'm not saying the Packers are going to intercept Wilson four times, and I'm not saying that they're going to win by a 28-point margin, but I do believe there was a turning point where the Seahawks aren't quite as good as they once were, and I'm confident this Packers defense is going to be improved from a year ago. It might take a while for them to gel, but I believe there's enough defense for them to come away with the win against Seattle on opening day. 
My official prediction is for the Packers to win 31-21 on Sunday. You know, if they can win by 28 points last season, they can win by 10 more uh, more than a one-score game in the season opener. So there you go. And my season prediction, it, it's funny. Uh, Scott is usually the optimistic one. I, If you follow me on social media, I took to Twitter probably halfway through training camp, and, and my thoughts have not changed. If, if anything, they've only become emboldened by the additions of Mod Brooks and Quentin Dial on the Packers' defense. Now, um, my season prediction for this Packers team is 13-3. and three. I feel like every year, everyone's prediction is like 11-5 and five for the Green Bay Packers. But I feel better this season than I have in season, you know, the past five years when I, I would have predicted them to go, you know, 11 and five almost every year, except maybe the year coming off the Super Bowl. Definitely felt good that and they started the 2011 season so well before falling off at the end. But I mean, every season since then, you, you feel like, oh, they're an 11 five type of team that'll do well, but come short of the Super Bowl. I'm all in on this team this year. I think they're 13 and three. I I don't think this is a 16 and 0 team because I I think you're just fooling yourself if any team in history is going to go 16 and 0. Or I mean, it, it happens to uh, so rarely that that will happen. Uh, but this team is so good that I, I feel there's very few places this team's going to trip up. Uh, and I don't think it's going to be at home this weekend. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be really tough to come away with a, a road victory in Atlanta where they got pasted last year in, in the NFC Championship game. Uh, but maybe it's a good thing that happens in week two. They learn from it, and maybe by the end of the season, they're ready to come back and and, and beat the Falcons by the time we reach January. Um but, uh, I mean, as far as this season is concerned, uh, I think it's very good. There's there's very few trip-up points after that. There will be on some tough road games uh, in Pittsburgh or uh, in Dallas maybe. I, I don't know where all three losses come. I haven't sit here on a game-by-game basis and, and say, oh, they're going to win this one. They're going to lose that one. I've, I've done it with the season opener. I think the Packers are going to win. But I, I think this team is good enough where they see they've seen their flaws from seasons past. You've heard it from so many. You hear it especially from Mike McCarthy. You hear it from Aaron Rodgers, and I think when you hear it from the people that lead the organization, they know how important it is, and they pass it along to the other guys on the team that this team needs to win games in order to host playoff games. Yeah, the Packers did it on the road in 2010 when they won the Super Bowl, and we saw what an anomaly that was. It happened once, and and be thankful it happened, but you you just can't sit here and assume they can do that every year. If the Packers want to win another Super Bowl, they're going to have to get home playoff games, and they're going to have to do that by taking care of business during the regular season and not going 11-5 and only host one wild card game or something like that. They're going to have to do it by going in 13-3 and and getting home field advantage throughout the playoffs. I think that's going to be a motivating factor where they're not just happy with with winning the NFC North and and just qualifying for the playoffs. It's about getting home field advantage, getting that by the first week, not having to beat up your body that game, and, and, and really doing some damage the rest of the way. 
uh, yeah, uh, I'm very encouraged, and I think this team can be Super Bowl quality. Am I going to sit here right now and say they're going to win the Super Bowl? No, I'm not going to do that. I, I think they're 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 capable of doing that. I just haven't sat here and sit down and say, well, I'm not going to make my predictions for what's going to happen in the Super Bowl or the NFC Championship game uh, in September. Um, but I think this is a 13 and three type of Packers team. Be encouraged by that, and hopefully we see that play itself out throughout the course of the season. Next segment. The day ahead. Friday is the day the Packers will release their final injury report of the week, which will likely include status projections, which which won't likely, it will include. So so for guys like Brian Balaga, that means whether we'll learn whether he's probable, questionable, or out for this Sunday's game against the Seahawks. I, I'm thinking he's going to be probable, and I'm thinking pretty much everybody the Packers have, whether they've been limited or not in practice, is going to be probable. They just are relatively healthy entering the season. Uh, a little bit dinged up here and there, like Kevin King, like the outside linebackers, Nick Perry and Clay Matthews. But they're all practicing. They're all out there, and that's really good news. So, We'll get their official status projection on Friday. Mike McCarthy will also host his final press conference in advance of Sunday's game at 9.45 a.m. Central Time on Friday. So not too much longer than the live edition of the show. You don't have to wait too much longer for that. Then on Saturday, the Packers are hosting a kickoff weekend concert featuring Blues Traveler and Everclear starting music starting at 5 o'clock p.m., Central time in the Lambeau Field parking lot. If you're going to the game, if you're going to be in Green Bay, go there, enjoy it. It's free. It's, you know, to build up anticipation for the start of the season uh, with with uh, Blues Traveler frontman John Popper sticking around town to do the national anthem on harmonica on, before Sunday's game. So that should be neat. And then Sunday, the game itself, kickoff is at 3.25 p.m. Central Time, televised on Fox. It technically isn't a national broadcast, although the vast majority of the country will be receiving it. If you look at the coverage maps at 506 Sports, uh, go there if you want to know whether you'll get it or not. But I think it's it's only it's like the Atlanta era area is not getting it and and somewhere else out west but the vast majority of the US will be receiving it so enjoy it folks it's a pseudo national broadcast and uh, a lot of the nation will be getting it and hey even if you you're in one of those areas that don't there are opportunities to watch it through uh direct TV and their 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 package they have so uh, lots of ways to ingest this game. Uh, enjoy it. Uh, uh, soak it in. Uh, football is back. Regular season, meaningful football. I'm excited. You're excited. If you're listening to this podcast, I know you're excited. Um, and, and hey, uh, 2017 season is here. Embrace it. We'll see you later, folks. On behalf of everybody at Cheesehead TV, I'm Brian Kiravu. Railbird Central typically airs every Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 8.30 a.m. Central Time. That's a live edition of the show, podcasted and on demand later in the day. We'll see you later, folks. I leave you today with a song called Betray the Dark by the String Cheese Incident on Psy Fidelity Records. See you later. Go Pack 
go.